Welcome to Russian History Retold, episode 227, The Great Cities of Old Russia, part 2. Last time, we covered the history of Kiev, Novgorod, Piskov, Smolensk, Ryazan, Vladimir, Suzdal, and Tver. Today, we will take a tour of the following cities, Chernogov, Rostov, Halich, Kolomna, Turov, Pereyaslav, Polotsk, Yuglich, and finally Moscow. Our first stop is Chernihiv, a city that is in the northwestern part of Ukraine. It was previously known by its Russified name of Chernogov, but we will use its Ukrainian pronunciation. The word Chernihiv is a compound word with the first part, Cherny, meaning black and Slavic, and the heave is believed to be related to the worship of the Chernobog, or black god. Chernobog is the god of bad luck, so you would think that this would be a terrible name for a city. But, in actuality, the old Slavic people believed that you had to pray and appease both the good and bad gods to make it through life safely. We first hear mention of Chernihiv in 907 and the Rus-Byzantine Treaty. When the city was actually founded, we really have no idea, but there is archaeological evidence that it existed in the early 9th century. It was in the early 10th century that the Black Grave, known as the Chernimolya, was created. It is the largest burial mound found in Kivian Rus and is now a national treasure. Viking remains, likely princes of Chernihiv, were found during excavations. Next to Kiev, Chernihiv was the second wealthiest town in the 11th century. Not only that, but it was also the largest principality during the time period. Its grand princes would vie with those of Kiev for control of the land of the Rus. Frequently, they would overthrow their rivals, many times due to armed conflict. This would all come to an end in 1239, when Chernihiv was sacked and burned to the ground by the invading Mongols. The city would become a minor town of little consequence for the following century. The Grand Duchy of Lithuania would take it over in 1353, where it would begun, begin to make a small comeback. Unfortunately, the Golden Horde, led by Crimean Khan Menle I Girey, would burn Chernihiv twice in 1482 and in 1497. From there, it would bounce around from Lithuania to Muscovy in the early 1400s and again in 1503, and then the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth took control from 1618 until 1648. Because many of the people and most of the Cossacks were Ukrainian Orthodox, they bristled under the thumb of the Catholic Poles and Lithuanians. This would lead to the Kemelnitsky Uprising, which lasted between 1648 and 1657. It would be the cause of numerous atrocities, including the murder of thousands of Jews and Catholics at the hands of the Cossacks. It would also be the beginning of Russian hegemony over Ukraine after the signing of the 1654 Pereyaslav Agreement, whereby the Cossacks would swear allegiance to the Tsar. Chernihiv would be one of the center points of the uprising, which would help it gain importance. 
1667 Treaty of Andrusovo would cede all of the lands of Ukraine to the burgeoning Russian Empire. As a result, Chernihiv would become the region's administrative center, gaining more and more importance within Russia. Its population was approximately 27,000, of which one-third were Jewish. This would have significant consequences when Nazi Germany invaded the area in 1941. They would control Chernihiv until it was liberated on September 21, 1943. On February 24, 2022, Chernihiv was again under siege, this time by the Russian army. By March 10th, it was completely encircled. But by April 5th, Russian troops had withdrawn from the oblast, suffering heavy casualties on both sides. The Russians have left thousands of mines in the area that are still being removed today. Rostov is our next stop, and maybe besides Kiev, it is the oldest of the towns of old Russia. While we're not sure when it was founded, we do know that it was an important Viking trading point, the post. The Scythians also inhabited it as far back as the 5th century BCE. Its location on the western shore of Lake Nero made it a prime location for trade as its outward tributary made its way to the Volga River and down to the Caspian Sea. Rostov is commonly known as Rostov Veliki or Rostov the Great to differentiate itself from the much larger Rostov on the Don. In the 10th century, it would become the capital of the principality of Vladimir Suzdal. This principality was one of the most powerful in Kievian Rus, only falling to a minor role with the ascendancy of Moscow. Finally, Rostov itself would be annexed into Moscovy in 1474. Before its annexation, it would be one of the most important religious centers, as it was the see of the Diocese of Yaroslavl, one of the first Russian bishoprics. As with many Russian towns, the Mongols would ravage the city numerous times in the 13th century. The last time was in 1408, led by Idigu, the leader of the Nogai Horde. The last sack until World War II would be the, by the Poles in 1608 during the Time of Troubles. Today, Rostov numbers about 30,000 inhabitants. Its current claim to fame is that it, is one of the, it has one of the best-preserved monasteries in all of Russia, named after the saints Boris and Gleb, or Borisoglebsky. It lies about 20 kilometers or 12 miles west of the town. Our next stop on our tour is the town of Halich. It sits on the Dniester River in western Ukraine. There is archaeological evidence of human habitation there over 40,000 years ago, with the earliest buildings appearing about 5,500 BCE, meaning it's had people living there for over 7,000 years. We first read about Halich in, six, in 896 in the Gesta Hungagorum, which are the court chronicles of Hungarian king Bela III from the beginning of the 13th century. While controversial, there's another mention of the city, and it's suggested in a work known as Getica from 296 AD. An important trading post, Halich is mentioned extensively in the Hypatian Codex of the Primary Chronicle. Halich was initially ruled by the Rostislavici, descendants of Vladimir of Novgorod. 
The most famous was Yaroslav Osmomosl, who would assume the throne in 1153. In 1164, Yaroslav would be involved in a major Byzantine intrigue when the cousin of Emperor Manuel I Komnenos, known as Andronicus, escaped from prison in Constantinople and fled to the court of the Prince of Halych. This would lead to diplomatic negotiations between the Byzantine Empire and Halych that would, in turn, lead to the city gaining prestige and economic growth. But this would all fall apart with the arrival of the Mongols in 1241. The city would lose all its glamour to its nearby rival, Lviv. In 1918, Halic would come under the control of Poland until 1939, when the Soviets invaded that country. Two years later, the Nazis would invade, slaughtering the 1,000 Jews that resided in the central part of Halic. It now has approximately 6,000 residents. Next up is Kolomna, situated on the confluence of the Moskva and Oka rivers, about 114 kilometers or 71 miles southeast of Moscow, and it was first mentioned in the year 1177. Its name in Old Russian means bend in the river. It would be the first city to become part of the Grand Duchy of Moscow in 1301. Because of its location, it was not only an important port, but also an important military outpost. It had one of the oldest Kremlins, made of wood. The stone Kolomna Kremlin replaced the original wall. It was built between 1525 to 1531 under Russian Tsar Vasily III. It was an important fortress, as it could repulse attacks from Tatar invaders. In addition, it would serve as a gathering place for supporters of the second false Dmitri, during the time of troubles. Of the 17 towers that ran around the Kremlin today, only seven remain. But one of its most famous landmarks that still stands is the bronze statue of Dmitry Donskoy, the hero of the Battle of Kulikova. During Soviet times, Kolomna would become what is known as a closed city due to military secrets held there. It would remain closed until three years after the fall of the Soviet Union. Its population, as of the 2010 census, stands at 144,000. Our next town to talk about lies in today's Belarus, Turov. One of the most important trading outposts for the Varangians and many Slavic peoples before them, Turov was an ancient capital of the Dregovich's tribe. They were one of the three Eastern Slavic tribes that are considered the ancestors of the modern Belarusian people, with the others being the Kriviches and the Dravilians. Turov is first mentioned in the Primary Chronicles in the year 980. Turov sits on the crossing of the Yazda and Struman rivers, whose waters flow into the Pripyat River, which flows into the Dnieper, and then leading all the way to the Black Sea. This was a critical pathway to Constantinople for the Vikings. Unfortunately, it was also a raiding route, bringing havoc and mayhem to those along the rivers. Because of its location, Turov is listed as one of the Rus' most important cities, which included Kiev, Chernihiv, Novgorod, and Pereslav. It would remain a rival of these great cities, especially when it was under the control of Vladimir Monomakh and his sons in the early 12th century. 
After their reign, the city would fall into hard times due to the constant infighting amongst the many grand princes of the Kievan era. Then, of course, like all the other great towns of that time, it would fall to the Mongol invasion, further weakening Turov. For the next few hundred years, Turov would fall under the control of the Lithuanians and Poles and face the wrath of many Tatar raids. They would bring down devastation and hardships to the people, almost totally depopulating this once great city. In the 16th century, several nobles would snatch up the land, and some even used the town as dowry for their daughters. After the period of constant wars with Muscovy, the town was severely damaged. By 1667, Turov only had 111 households left of the 401 that were there in 1648. It would see an increase in Jewish settlements starting in the 18th century, reaching an apex in the late 19th and early 20th centuries. That is, of course, until the arrival of Nazi forces 1941. The entire population of Jews was wiped out. Today, only three Jewish people live in the town that once proudly boasted of a very large Jewish community. From Turov, we head over to Periaslav, located near the confluence of the Alta and Trubizh rivers, some 95 kilometers or 59 miles south of Kiev. We first hear about it in the Rus's treaty with the Byzantine Empire in 911 as Periaslav Ruski. It is located in what is now north-central Ukraine. Vladimir the Great would have a reinforced fortress built there in 992. This was to protect the southern limits of Kivian Rus from raids of nomads from the steppes. The city was the capital of the Principality of Periaslavl from the middle of the 11th century until its destruction by the Mongols in 1239. In the 1300s, Periaslav would be part of the Grand Duchy of Lithuania. However, it would become part of the Kiev Voivodeship in 1569, becoming part of the crown of the Kingdom of Poland. In 1585, Polish King Stephen Bathory granted Periaslav Magdeburg city rights. A Magdeburg city at the time is a right that allowed the town to self-govern as long as it pledged allegiance to the crown of the nation it belonged to. In 1654, Bodan Kamilinski had the controversial Periaslav Covenant passed, whereby the Ukrainian Cossacks voted for a military alliance with Muscovy and accepted the Treaty of Periaslav. This would align Ukraine's eastern or left bank to the Russian Empire. It is here that the current Putin administration believes that this part of Ukraine should be annexed into Russia. <clears throat> However, the Ukrainian people are diametrically opposed to this position, as they say the Treaty of Periaslav was coerced in order to protect their territory from the Polish Catholics. According to the Truce of Andrusovo in 1667, Periaslav became part of Russia officially. It would remain in Russian hands until the Nazi invasion in 1941 and liberated in 1943. The city, of course, was devastated, needing a complete rebuild post-World War II. Today, it is a sleepy town of approximately 26,000 inhabitants. Our next historical visit is to the city of Polotsk, an important trading city in the olden days. 
It has been intermittently populated for thousands of years. It is a historical city in Belarus, situated on the Dievna River, which empties into the Baltic Sea. Because of this, it was a favorite site for Viking traders and raiders for hundreds of years. We first hear of the city in the primary chronicles in 862, making it one of the earliest towns mentioned in the tale of bygone years. As I said, it was located in what is now Belarus, but recent archaeological digs indicate that the city was established in the mid-8th century. Now, if you remember my series on Vladimir the Great, you might remember the city of Polotsk. Their grand prince was Rogvolod, who ruled between 948 and 978. He had two sons, but more importantly, a daughter named Rogned. Rogvolod promised Rogned to the prince of Kiev, Yaropolk, as a wife. But Yaropolk's brother, Vladimir, attacked Polotsk before Yaropolk came. He killed Rogvolod, his wife, and his sons, and married Rogned. We know that after that, Vladimir would marry Anna Porphyrogenita, the sister of Byzantine Emperor Basil II, and he would dump all his other wives for her alone. From the 10th to 12th century, Polotsk would be one of the most influential regions in all of Kievan Rus. However, it would fade over time, eventually becoming a vassal state of the Grand Duchy of Lithuania in the 14th century. Ivan the Terrible, knowing how important the city was, captured it in 1563. Unfortunately for the Muscovite state, Ivan lost it just 15 years later. Polotsk would be captured by Russia 91 years after that, but it would lose it to the Poland Lithuanian Commonwealth on October 30, 1660, during the Russo-Polish War of 1654 to 67. During the reign of Catherine the Great, though, Russia seized Polotsk, then known as Polok, in 1772 as part of the first partition of the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth. During Napoleon's invasion of Russia, the district saw two major battles. The First Battle of Polotsk in August 1812, and the Second Battle of Polotsk in October 1812. While the first conflict was considered a draw, the second one was a terrible blow to the retreating French army. After signing the Treaty of Brest-Litovsk to end Russian involvement in World War I, Polotsk came under occupation by the German Empire between February 25, 1918, and November 21st of that year. After the war, Poland would take control of the city from 1919 until May 14, 1920. Then, during World War II, Nazi Germany took command of the town for almost three years. Presently, there are approximately 86,000 inhabitants in Polotsk. Our second-to-last city to discuss is Uglich. While the town's official founding goes back to 937, we first read about Uglich in 1148 when it was called Uglich Pole or Corner Field. The name comes from a turn in the Volga River near the city. In the 13th and 14th centuries, Uglich was a minor princedom with little great importance. However, it was an essential ally to the growing Muscovite duchy as it was on the border of that state. Because of where it was located, it would be attacked and burned several times in conflicts by Lithuanians, Tatars, and even the Grand Prince of Tver. Its importance would begin with the reign of Grand Duke Ivan III of Moscow. In 
He would give the town to, in 1462 to his younger brother, André Bolshoi, or André the Great. During André's reign, the city was expanded and the first stone buildings were constructed. Particularly notable was the Intercession Monastery, which the Bolsheviks, unfortunately, destroyed in the early 20th century. But the red brick palace of the prince, which was completed in 1481, still stands to this day. But the most important event in Uglitch's history was to occur on May 15, 1591. It was the date when the nine-year-old Dmitry Ivanovich, son of Ivan the Terrible, was found dead with his throat cut in the palace courtyard. Boris Kudinov was the immediate suspect in the young boy's murder, but the official claim is that it was an accident. They claim that Dmitri killed himself due to an epileptic seizure while playing with a knife. Of course, that is pretty unbelievable, but Boris Kudinov played that card, eventually leading to his ascension to the throne. The strange death of the Tsarevich led to the series of false Dmitris, which bedeviled the Russian people during the time of Troubles. Subsequently, the Romanov Tsars quickly arranged to canonize the martyred Tsarevich and designate Uglich as a place of pilgrimage. On the spot where Dmitri was thought to have been murdered, the city built a small church of St. Dimitrios on the blood in 1690. The church stands to this day and is a remarkable piece of medieval Russian architecture. Today, Uglich numbers about 32,000 residents, and it is filled with many impressive churches and monasteries. Our last stop on our tour of old Russian cities is the most famous one, Moscow. Archaeological digs have suggested that people have inhabited the area since the Stone Age. Around 950 AT, two Slavic tribes, Viaci and the Krivici, settled in the region but no permanent structures or city was built until 1147 as a meeting place of Yuri Dolgeruki and Sviatoslav Olgovich. Yuri built a wooden Kremlin in 1156 and constructed a moat around it for further protection. Unfortunately, this all went for naught when the Mongols invaded in 1238. They burned Moscow to the ground, killing everyone they could find. The event could have been the end of Moscow, but a son of Alexander Nevsky, Daniel Alexandrovich, was given the region to rule over his grand prince. Because he was the youngest of Nevsky's son, he was given the backwater village, as it was the least valuable of the duchies under his father's control. Over the coming years, Daniel would strengthen his grip on the region and make wise alliances with people like Michael of Tiver, increasing Moscow's political influence. Constantine, the prince of Ryazan, tried to capture the Moscow lands with the help of a Mongol force. Prince Daniel defeated it near Pereyaslavl. This was the first time that a Mongol army had been defeated. It was a minor victory, but it showed the people that eventually they would be able to throw off the Mongol yoke. When Daniel absorbed the fortress of Kolomna into his growing duchy, he controlled the entirety of the Moskva River. One of his more brilliant moves was to avoid the constant internecine wars between many of the princedoms of the land of the Rus. Daniel would also prove to be a cautious ally of the Mongols, as he knew they could wipe a city off the face of the map at any time. 
By 1303, Moscow became a powerhouse, taking over as the central city in the Vladimir Suzdal Duchy in 1320. Daniel's son, Yuri, elevated Moscow by allying with the overlord of the Rus' principalities, Uzbek Khan of the Golden Horde. And he did so by marrying the Khan's sister. Unfortunately, Yuri was murdered by one of his rivals, Dmitri the Terrible Eyes, the Grand Prince of Vladimir and Tver. His younger brother, Ivan I, Danilovich Kalita, also known as Ivan I, would take over. Moscow's geographical position in the middle of the land of the Rus offered a modicum of protection from invasions, unlike many of its sister cities. It would be one of the reasons why it would gain in stature. The other reason was how Ivan would collect tribute for the Golden Horde, making him a valuable ally. His nickname, Kalita, or Moneybags, would attest to his ability to gain enormous wealth, which he spread around by enlarging Moscow. The coup de grace would be when the head of the Russian Orthodox Church, Metropolitan Peter, moved the church's headquarters from Vladimir to Moscow. When Dmitry Donskoy took control of Moscow, he would be the one to lead his troops to the victory over the forces of the Golden Horde, led by Mamai, at the Battle of Kulikova in 1380. While this was the first significant step in throwing off the Mongol yoke, it would have dreadful consequences. Two years later, forces by Khan Toktamayash would invade Moscow, killing over 20,000 inhabitants. Under the rule of Vasily I and II, Moscow would continue to grow in power and influence. By the time of Ivan the Great's reign, which began in 1462, Moscow would have control over the entirety of the land of the Rus, with some minor territories still fighting to stay independent. Moscow would be invaded by the Crimean Tatars in 1571, killing 170,000 of the 200,000 inhabitants. New, more robust defensive walls would be built around the city. These would help defend against a subsequent invasion by the Crimean Tatars in 1591. In 1613, after the disastrous time of troubles, the Zemsky Sabor would elect Mikhail Romanov, the Tsar of Russia, with Moscow being the capital. Bubonic plague epidemics ravaged Moscow three times, first in 1570-71, then 1592, and the most devastating of all in 1654 to 1656. It is estimated that 80% of the population of Moscow died in the last plague outbreak. There would also be two destructive fires that would destroy most of the city in 1626 and 1648. Both times, they would rebuild the capital. Peter the Great hated the old nature of Moscow, so he decided to build St. Petersburg and make it his new capital. Initially, this caused Moscow to lose a great deal of its population, decreasing from 200,000 residents to 130,000 by 1750. However, that decline would be short-lived as Moscow would see a massive increase in inhabitants, growing to 1.8 million in 1915. Vladimir decided to move the capital from Petrograd, only named St. Petersburg, to Moscow because he feared a possible foreign invasion on March 12, 1918. As a result, the Kremlin once again became the seat of power and the political center of the new state, the Soviet Union. Today, Moscow is the largest and most populated city in Europe, 
numbering over 12 million inhabitants. It stretches out over 2,500 square kilometers, or 989 square miles. Well, I hope you enjoyed our tour of the old cities of Russia. Join me next time when we start a new four-part series on the most critical year in Russian history, 1917. So until then, до свидания и спасибо большое.